The following is a Goulash Media production. Goulashmedia.net Welcome to the system is down. What's up, downers? Welcome back to the least comfortable show on the web. The system is down. My name is Dan Smots, and on today's episode, I had my very first official repeat offender, Spencer Fulmer, who was on the show back in episode 12, which was titled Faith-Based Film Filled with F-Bombs, where we talked about his upcoming film, Generational Sins. Now, since then, I've had the pleasure of viewing the film, and I wanted to have him back on to give my thoughts on the film kind of dig a little bit deeper and just help him get the word out about the upcoming release, which is this Friday, October 6th. But if you've ever listened to the show before, you know that I'm not going to make it just a ego-stroking promotional plug for the film. I gave my thoughts, the good and the bad, and poked <laughs> some fun at some of the bad things, and Spencer is always good sport about everything, and it was really his idea to come back on, so he should have known what he was getting into if he had a problem with it. But we tried to avoid any spoilers, but there might be a couple minor ones that if you're wanting the full experience of the film, you might want to go watch it first. But it was nothing too major or crazy. We also recorded an entire bonus hour episode where Spencer and I gave our review of the film Kirk Cameron's Saving Christmas, which I have brought up on the show many times. I've now officially watched it, and I made Spencer watch it as well so that we could have a riveting chat about that piece of work. Uh, we talked about that, and the film The Case for Christ, and a couple other things. So if you're interested in getting some bonus content, you can get an entire second episode by joining the Downers Club at tsidpod.com forward slash support. Check it out. But enough of that. Let's get weird. My guest today is, once again, the director of the film Generational Sins, which as we all know, is so deplorably full of uh, explicatives that it will inevitably force God's hand to bring a natural disaster like a flood or a hurricane down upon Hollywood, thanks to the great Spencer Fulmer. Spencer, how's it going, man? <laughs> hey, Dan. <laughs> I'm doing great. Uh, Good. What an introduction. <laughs> yeah. So, so I got to see the film and see what everybody's so outraged about. And first of all, thank you for allowing me to have a pre-screening of it. Um, really enjoyed the thing, man. I'm just going to say it right off the bat. No, no, no spoilers here. I'm not going to leave you intention to uh, find out at the end what I actually thought of it. I, I thought it was a good film. You're not, you're not scarred? <laughs> a, a little bit. I have. Yeah. I mean, my vocabulary has certainly increased since watching that film. Sure. So. <laughs> yeah. I, I learned three new cuss words that I didn't know before. <laughs> That's, all right, mission accomplished. That's all we're trying to do. Yep, as I'm sure most people going into it have never heard these words before as well. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I want to talk more about the movie and not just the cussing, because we, we've been over that and that drudgery yes. uh, that everybody yes. cares about Thank so you. much. So first off, since the last time you were on, has anybody given you crap for coming on the show? If so, uh, I mean, we have Flat Earth episodes, we have 9-11 episodes on here. Is it guilty by association, or is it helpful for you? <laughs> it was actually really helpful. A lot of my friends who really did, all they saw was the first Hollywood Reporter article that came out that said, new faith-based film filled with F-bombs. Right. 
And so that's not a great way to come out, whatever, on the block. And the interview that we did last time, you know, we got into some, like, theology and, like, issues, especially with faith-based films, about why people are so turned off about a film that would talk about Jesus and cuss in the same 90 minutes. And so it was actually really beneficial. We've been featuring that interview in, on our on our websites and our press and on our Facebook accounts because I think it was such a good dialogue and you understand what we're trying to do with our films that it really kind of opened up the conversation with a lot of other artists. Sure. Is that rare that you get a chance to speak back? Like, have you had other people <laughs> who are not either like hardcore against it or hardcore in favor, just like wanting to have the dialogue about the issue that people are freaking out about? Yeah, it is rare, especially just to have like this time and space and you don't edit deceivingly uh, the podcast or anything like that. So it's just like a, we'll it's say. a dialogue, right? Yeah, we'll say. <laughs> Only to make me sound better. But um, a lot of my other interviews or press, uh, it's just, they're just sound bites or even sometimes like misquotes. Right. And it's kind of frustrating for me because I'm like, well, I don't, I don't even remember, I don't, I didn't even write that. I didn't say that. Um, and there's a lot of inaccuracies in the press. Like, it's mostly inaccurate. Sure. So to have a dialogue like this with an independent news source and podcast like yourself, sure. it's really refreshing. It happens. I'm not going to say this on all of our articles. Some articles, especially recently, a lot of the press has been a lot better that have been interviewed with me and some of the reviews that we're starting to get from the film. But uh, some of the earlier stuff was frustrating. And then the critical reviews, which have only been from people who haven't seen the movie, right. is always frustrating from right. the, yeah. Well, cool. Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it helped. Um, Thank I, you. I certainly want to call myself a news source, but uh, I'll take it if you want to go there. <laughs> <laughs> if you watch the news, I don't know what that even means. So <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's very fair. What, what's the update on the press and everything? Like, Have you gotten a lot more pushback? Like, Has there been other big news organizations that have blasted you without any justification <laughs> or is it pretty much <laughs> <let> um, off? <laughs> you know at the beginning when we came out on into the general public in the public square there that was whenever we were most hated and uh we got the most hate mail and all the shit um, we had another couple articles that came out, one just kind of updating people about the release of the film, getting a distribution deal when it was going to be out in theaters. Mm-hmm. And then, so we took a poll about what cuss words everyone finds most offensive, especially in watching a film. And again, the media bias, if you know, depending on who was reporting on the results of this poll, they would skew it, the results, to their own agenda. So the traditional conservative news would say, look, this poll proves that everyone doesn't like cussing. Right. And then the more liberal press would say, look, anyone, no one cares about cussing unless you're over 60 and you're a Republican, conservative, evangelical. Mm. But what the poll results really showed were some interesting facts that weren't reported on. I think the most interesting, especially for Third Brother Films, is that the two cuss words that people of all demographics, of all religions, of all races, and income levels find most offensive is saying the Lord's name in vain in either GD or, you know, using Jesus in a cussing way. Sure. And so that's really interesting to us and just kind of like a theological kind of understanding that even if you're not a Christian, 
or have anything to do with religion, that name still carries weight. And for me personally, it's the only thing that is a cuss word because the Bible calls it out. It's using the Lord's name in vain. And the poll results, I think, truly did show that our audiences, that the people that we're trying to reach, aren't obviously going to be offended by the cuss words. Yeah. But all that to say is that that poll result was definitely polemical, and we got a lot of feedback, negative feedback, you know, just having this conversation. A lot of people don't want to have this conversation. And then some of the more traditional Christian review, uh, film review services just, you know, again, said that we were ignoring the Bible. Mm -hmm. If as Christian filmmakers, we would have characters in our films, whether Christian or not Christian, who were cussing. Right. That's frustrating. Um, (laughs) But overall, I'd say since we first hit the press in May, since then, I think overall we have gained a lot more allies and a lot more people understanding what we're trying to do and appreciating the fact that there's not another film that exists like this and we are actually creating a new genre of films. So there's been a lot of support, but unfortunately most of it has been in private. Mm -hmm. You know, I went to a film premiere this week in Hollywood and there's a lot of Christians there, a lot of influencers, and so many people had heard about generational sins in the press. They had seen the people who came out swinging against us and they had seen the criticism and they had seen some more positive things and heard some recent articles that me and my executive producer have been writing, mm-hmm. you know, in the Christian Post and LifeZet and some other places and trying to get some more mainstream articles out there to really show what our intention is and our heart is for making these kind of films. And so there's a lot of people that I wasn't anticipating who support our film and have told me so in person, but... So far, none of these people have publicly, you know, endorsed it because of either their constituents or just because it's too controversial right now. So and you, I appreciate so, that. So I get the, that. You're the Donald Trump of Christian films, is what you're saying? Oh, please, Jesus, no. <laughs> they, they're all man, like, oh, man. Well, we agree with you, even though I mean, <laughs> it's unpopular. Just don't tell anybody that we agree with you. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're right. And that's, well... If it if it turns out that way in the box office, then sure, I'll accept right. that comparison. If if half the nation or whatever it is goes out and sees it secretly, right? Then yes, please. Awesome. Well, what is the release date for the movie? When's it coming out? It comes out October six, um, theatrically and also video on demand simultaneously. So you'll be able to rent it on iTunes or Amazon or Google or anything nice. else you can think about on the internet, and. You can also see it in select theaters. Right now, I think probably uh, 10 major cities with some additional regional screens, either where we shot the film or where uh, we just have a a large concentration of support, whether in churches or just a grassroots community that support the film. Very cool. So coming up quick, huh? Excited about it? It is coming up very quick. I don't know when you're going to release this episode, but the days are counting down quickly. (laughs) It's... (laughs) I'm just about, I'm going to be leaving soon, in fact, to be traveling nonstop for the entire, like, press tour of the film. We're going to be doing, we're going to be visiting colleges, secular colleges, film schools, Christian schools, showing the film and having Q&A with the professors and with students. Um, One, just from, you know, how to make an independent film, especially a very lean budget, scrappy film like Generational Sins and how to get distribution and 
press and all that kind of stuff. But then, two, continuing to have this dialogue with, about, for everyone, not just Christians, but having this dialogue about what does, like, an authentic expression of faith look like in yeah. the world that we all live in. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, how many spots are you hitting, and do you want to list off some of them, or is there a place that people can find those? Yeah, that information, uh, it's not on our website for the colleges, although I might add it today. Um, but the, the screens are added to our website, generationalsins.com or gensins.com mm-hmm. or thirdbrother.com for the screens. And then for the universities, you know, I'm going to my alma mater, which is Grove City College in Western Pennsylvania. I'm sure almost no one has ever heard of it, but <laughs> it's a little Christian college. Uh, they will now. They will now put <laughs> Grove City on the map. And uh, Penn State University, not a Christian college. Uh, sure. University of Central Florida, Full Sail University, Georgia Southern, Wheaton uh, University, maybe Temple, but we haven't really heard from them, so probably not Temple. And then some smaller like tech schools close by where we shot the film in Florida and Pennsylvania. Very cool. So how does this uh, – I mean – I'm not a filmmaker, and I'm sure mm-hmm. that most of our people aren't either <laughs> that are listening. Sure. Like, what is the process for releasing a movie? Like, is it going to theater, then going to DVD, like uh, blockbuster movies do? Or is it just going to be, like, on demand and in theater and kind of uh, all at once release, and that's all that it's going to be? Or how are you doing that? Yeah, it's a really enigmatic, crazy process. I... I did my last artistic creative touch on Generational Sins on February 20th. And so since February 20th, the film has not been changed one frame. Nothing has been changed about the film. So for, where are we? Almost eight months, uh, we've been doing nothing but meeting with marketers, talking about the, the strategies and markets, and then getting a distributor, choosing our distributor, and now... We have weekly meetings with a team of over 30 about how to connect with the press. And soon you're going to be seeing like the trailer, like in, you know, some of the industry trades and entertainment websites. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a very complicated process that they don't teach you in film school. Uh, a lot of my NYU classmates, they weren't taught this. A lot of people don't know this. A lot of my, the professors at the film schools I'm going to aren't familiar with this process because... It's and it's constantly changing. Like the distribution right. model is changing. Like we're doing what's called a day and date release, which make means that it's available for people who can't make it to one of our select screens. They're able to rent it on iTunes the same day, and so we're allowing audiences to kind of choose how they view it. Because as much as I love seeing every single movie I can in theaters, right. that's not necessarily how everyone wants to view it. Yeah. So it will be traditionally consumed in theaters, but also allowing it to be consumed immediately online with still home video, DVD, Blu-ray. Cool. But we we wait for three months for that. It's a 90-day window. Gotcha. So it's exclusive for video on demand, it's called, and theatrical sales. Mm-hmm. And then after three months, like in January, it'd be available for streaming, cable, uh, you know, cable deals and subscriptions, as well as DVD and home video and video on demand and Redbox and Walmart and all that kind of stuff, as well as international sales too. Like we have to replicate everything we're mm-hmm. doing in the United States for the international countries that we're starting to sell off. 
Sure. So are you uh, are you gonna <laughs> dub over voices in other languages for? Generations? Oh man, <laughs> I hope so. Maybe you and I can just like dub over the whole uh, thing. That'd be that'd be fantastic. Just be doing all male female voices, all of them, uh, and <laughs> <laughs> doing the the worst, just the worst translations possible of us trying to do other languages. <laughs> I would love it. So Dax, who was the co-writer of the film. Uh-huh. Um, I was t- he's not a Christian, so it's really hard to explain to him sometimes like the insanity of some of the uh, the the hate mail that we get and the, right. from the fundamentalist and whatever else. And so he was just he just couldn't understand, and I appreciate it too because I didn't grow up a Christian, but he couldn't understand why you know Christians couldn't consume or watch a film that had any kind of cuss words in them. Yeah, and then we had gotten some pushback, and we were afraid that there was going to be a hard push to censor our film. And I, and I net not, there's nothing censored in the film. It's PG 13. So yeah, I never thought it would need to be censored, but still there's been a lot of suggestions still even today about editing it for like the church community. Right. And uh, so anyway, Dax came up with the idea that we should su- uh, dub all the cuss words. And so like, and just make it ridiculous, you know, like instead of saying <laughs> Be like, oh, golly gee, I'm so, you know, I'm so bummed mom died. Ah, uh, sh- you know, like, sugar, like, uh, God has abandoned me. Yeah. So look out for that cut. <laughs> I would buy that cut before the original. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I would. I might still have Dax come over to the office and we'll just record a couple of most profane scenes with golly G's and gee whiz. Yes. <laughs> now- Show the absurdity. Now that brings up another point. Um, in watching the movie, I I really enjoyed. I mean, it's a it's a serious movie. It's a drama, as everybody is probably deduced. But yeah, you you have a good blend of comedy in it as well. Which oh, good! I really enjoyed Thank and really you. appreciated. I mean, most Christian dramas are so ham-fistedly over the top, <laughs> cheese ball. Everything is the end of the world drama, and there isn't that bit of light to you know keep keep people interested. Keep a Keep it moving along, and I think you did that really well. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I. <laughs> it's it's not um, shtick, and it's not like uh, painful, like you know, church dad, pastor oh, dad comedy, Kirk Cameron comedy. Uh, we'll yeah. get to that later. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, the the funeral scene, which I'm not going to spoil it, but the funeral scene I still think about now, and I find it absolutely perfect and hilarious. <laughs> oh, I loved it. There's so many people. There, as I'm not going to give away spoilers either. Yeah. But there's a couple of moments in the film where you expect one thing and the opposite happens. Absolutely. And especially for faith-based markets they play very safe and they do formulas and like if you expect it's going to happen it's definitely going to happen but it's me so on the nose that right. if you walked out for the longest bathroom break ever you're still going to know exactly <laughs> what happened yep. uh and our film especially in that cemetery scene that you're talking about yeah i love that i, I mean i was laughing <laughs> when we wrote that and thankful it turned out that way yeah it was it was fantastic um <laughs> On the topic of, uh, you know, just kind of little surprises, I mean, towards the end, the thing that happens, which I won't say, I was so happy, so happy that you went that direction, Um, if you know what I'm talking about. Um, I know what you're talking about, thank you. (laughs) Yes, I was expecting it to be the obvious, and it was not, which I loved. So I can't tell you how much shit I've gotten for that. That Really? Choice. Yeah, that choice, which... 
I was just giddy whenever I came up with that idea when Dax and I were writing the script and wrote in that we were going to be using Claire de Lune and exactly, I mean, it was one of my most like pre-visualized scenes, exactly yeah. how it's in the film turned out. And I can't, I, I had this one Christian producer, I don't even know why I still ask, but he said like, because we chose to not do the obvious that we only had half of a film and should reshoot it and show what you and I both would never want to see. Mm. He said, I have a half a film and can't get distribution. No, God, no. It, no. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for saying that. I appreciate that. No one's called out the comedy in the film and no one, well, yeah, but, but really, actually, you know, this is, this will be the second review of the film. So cool. uh, this is, I haven't really gotten that much feedback. So the other guy sucked and didn't call out the comedy. <laughs> 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 yes. Yes, I'll agree with that. So the film opens up with this very pretty drawn out shot of like really dramatic of the mom dying. I don't think this is too much of a spoiler. If they're going to watch the movie it's at not. all, they're going to find that out pretty she quickly. She dies. Yep. She dies, everyone. She's and dead. <laughs> mom dies and she tells <laughs> Drew to take Will to visit their father. Uh, and I, I also found, well, before we get into the actual story, I want to point out the fact that these se- I think it's the seventh word in this movie is ass. And I was just, <laughs> I was shaking. I, I was violently shaking. <laughs> All right. I wish I had a video of you watching it for all your reactions. Uh, it wouldn't be nearly as interesting as I'm making it sound. Um, <laughs> shaking. And then we see uh, Mom's new husband, which is some douchebag named Thurman Mason. I know, Mason. he is a total douchebag. What a tool. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I don't want to talk too much about the story because I don't want to spoil a single thing. Um, it's really, it was a fantastic watch all the way through. And I don't watch Thank movies you. very, very often. Oh, <laughs> wow. Thank <Yeah>. you. Gosh. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't want to stroke your ego too hard here, because um, we'll, we'll get into some criticisms Please. here in a bit. But <laughs> okay. <laughs> but overall, for what it is, really good movie. Now, th- there's one scene where Drew falls into the pool in at the hotel. Yes. Um, can you elaborate on kind of the meaning behind that? Because, I mean, my first thought was he's going to attempt suicide, and then all of a sudden... The next scene is him knocking on his brother's door. So I assume that wasn't the case. Was it, did it have deeper meaning like symbolism or am I reading too much into it? No, it did. Um, and unfortunately, maybe it's more of an abstract. It's definitely not an on the nose um, sure. scene. I, we, we got hit in early reviews on that saying like, wait, this isn't, he's not attempting suicide. Mm-hmm. No one kills himself that way. And I was like, yeah, I get it, guys. I understand. <laughs> I know intimately what this is. And, uh, and so it's just like being underwater and that feeling, especially being on the bottom of the pole, just yeah. feeling kind of the weight of the world and being submerged and feeling like he wanted to go into non-existence and also fantasizing suicidality like whenever you do hold your head underwater right and you just kind of like romanticize what i, if I, I don't came do up? that i don't do that man do you do that <laughs> i've done it <laughs> I'll, I'll pray for you <laughs> go on sorry <laughs> please tell your tell your listeners too yep. <laughs> keep an eye on spencer he is <laughs> just playing Always. around holding his head under the water seeing how long he can go without dying uh, yeah um, exactly <laughs> what, what else do you do on a sunday afternoon <laughs> 
So you're saying it was more of a like drowning sensation, like symbology kind of deal? Yes. Okay. I mean, Drew is suicidal. I don't think that's giving away too much. Sure. Um, that's one of the issues that we're dealing with the film. And yes, he's just romanticizing and, and kind of tasting, flirting with the idea mm-hmm. of being fully embracing the fact that he feels like he is has the weight of the world on top of him. Right. And water does feel very heavy. Absolutely. I just agreed with you saying water is heavy. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting water deep is here. heavy. Quote. <laughs> now, I did notice also a, a dashing young waiter at the diner. Um, I believe his name was M. Night Shyamalan. Um, Who's that little bastard? I don't know. <laughs> Some director who likes Alfred to, Hitchcock. likes to squeeze himself into his own films because he can't avoid not having his face seen at least a little bit. That's right. I was like, well, you know what this film is missing? It's missing my Swedish German face. Missing sex appeal. So, so uh, this is... <laughs> Actually, you, I, I honestly didn't even realize that it was you until I watched the credits at the end. And then I went back and looked at it. So. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. That's how I want it to be. Yep. You know what's really awful is that that damn role of Jeff the Waiter, uh-huh. he was like 10 days before shooting... There was like five scenes with Jeff the waiter. It was like Drew's <laughs> best high school mate. Yeah. And they reconnected at the diner and then they saw each other like five times. And I, I hated Jeff so much in the writing. <laughs> and this is a character that Dax wrote and I didn't write. Sure. And so 10 days before shooting, I ripped out all of the Jeff scenes except for this one. Sure. And then I tried to cast five other people to be Jeff, like some real good friend here from church uh in hollywood i was gonna fly him out just to be jeff and then one of my old leads from a past film and then he couldn't make it and so we get to the day of shooting and i end up being jeff i was gonna do some cameo role because i do like making a hitchcock appearance but we i hadn't torn out this scene so it was a whole dialogue scene unexpected on the day of Mm -hmm. between me and my lead actor and him and i just could not get through the scene. I just cut and I'm going to be releasing a blooper reel and pretty much three fourths of the blooper reel is just me and Dan laughing at each other because (laughs) so so what was that scene if you don't mind saying like what was oh it's it's horse shit um it's just (laughs) even better let's hear like yeah so (laughs) so Drew you know hasn't been back to town in like 10 years and Dan's like or not Dan Jeff my character was like Drew, is that you? And oh, we play football together. And then, how you been? And then, Drew, uh, Jeff talks about like just how hard it is trying to survive working a couple part time jobs, blue collar jobs in central Pennsylvania. And that whole point and that storyline is definitely made abundantly clear in the rest of the dialogue and in the setting of the film. Right. And so it was just horseshit. <laughs> Welcome back to this little one horse town, in case you don't notice. We're all, <laughs> yeah. we're all doing shitty around here. Let me tell you my story. It's shitty. <laughs> yeah, yep. you're right. You're right. And let's that, say that it, need 15 to be there. times with 15 <laughs> characters. No. Yep. <laughs> it was such horseshit. So I'm so glad it's gone. There's That's... about seven deleted scenes, actually, from what we shot, and most of them will never see the light of day. Sure. Including that one I just told you about. <laughs> Now, if it was somebody else acting it and you still cut it out, would that see the light of day? Or are you just going to keep it out because you don't want yes. people seeing it as you? <laughs> Correct. Okay. And it's unbearable. It's, <laughs> I can't even fathom how bad of an acting job I did there. 
Well, I must say, your uh, can I take your order and thank you, and, or the three words that you said, you nailed it, man. You freaking nailed it. <laughs> thank you so much, Dan. That would be the only time and last time I'll ever get praise for my acting. Thank you. Now, the chemistry between the brothers, I really liked. The Thank uh, you. Yeah, Will's uh, progression from total douchebag asshole, it wasn't like a complete 180 instantly, which is how Christian movies work. <laughs> it was it was kind of a progression yep. in him seeing like the the hardships in their town and seeing like having an understanding of where he comes from, that type of thing. He lightened up to uh Drew's kind of douchey demeanor and he's like kind of more understanding of it, which I thought that that was played out pretty well. Thank you. Yes. It's a really sweet character arc. It's kind of unexpected. People really are resonating with Will and it's yeah. it's nice. It's good. Dax did a really great job with that, too. Yeah. Did not expect to at the beginning. It was like, oh, oh no. this is going to be annoying. <laughs> yeah. Them, like, damn it. It's so annoying. <laughs> right. They had good yeah. chemistry. It was a good combo. They definitely don't look like brothers, but they had good sure. chemistry. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. One's a milk man. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I got to ask. At, so, the premise is when the mom's dying, like I said, she asks Drew to take Will to go see their dad because Will doesn't know him and for some reason she feels like that will complete something in their life. Why did they de- why did they decide to do this in the 3 days leading up to the funeral? 3 days between her death and her funeral. They're like, "We've got nothing better to do. Let's drive across the country on a road trip to see our dad." Yeah, no, I hear you. Um she says, "Don't wait," right? At the end of that death scene. Sure. That lasts forever. And I mean, uh, did he really take her that literally like go immediately? <laughs> And so the idea was, and I don't think it's communicated, but the idea (laughs) is that if they were able to get up to Pennsylvania before the funeral, they would give the opportunity, perhaps, to allow Bill to know that Uh. the funeral was happening or be able to grieve the loss of his ex-wife and the mother of his children. Ah, gotcha. That probably should have been more clearly communicated, but that was the idea. Yeah, it could have been an email, but it's all good. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it, by the way mom's dead <laughs> yep f you bye <laughs> up, dad mom's dead she told me to talk to you this is what we do <laughs> what, what are you doing you old bastard <laughs> dad doesn't know how to use email of course <laughs> <laughs> yeah dad's out in the cabin in the woods <laughs> so when they did go to see dad they pull up and then the, he decides Drew decides that they're not going to go talk to him the very first night, and they go to yeah. a hotel. Why do they wait like two days <laughs> to go talk to him? They're just hanging out with the locals, chilling, going on dates and shit. <laughs> You're here for a reason. It's going to be a one-day, five-minute conversation, and then head back home and help uh, Uncle Thurman out with, or Stepdad Thurman out with the funeral preparations. Thurman's totally justified to think you're an asshole because you have clearly have no care for him at all or the crap that he's going through right now his wife just died and he's the only one around to do the funeral preparations <laughs> oh man um yeah again this is a really good movie <laughs> I have to really movie. pinpoint in some some of the problems. Uh, Oscar, <laughs> Oscar nom. Um, so, Drew, yes, he chickens out, and he's all, whatever, effed up. And 
I would say that in the next morning, right, after he takes his morning jog, uh-huh. his plan is to, again, confront his dad. Yeah. And then he runs into his old love interest. And he uses, the, the thing that makes it so electric is that he just lost kind of like his reason for living, which was his mother. Right. And then his lifeline or his lifesaver is Rachel. And he's like, oh, shit, Rachel, the love of my life. I ran away from you, right. I ran away from confronting my father, I ran away from being there for my brother, and I've been in distance supporting my mother, and now I don't have that reason to exist, right. but it, she, her dying wish is for me to confront my father. Well, that he's scared as shit about that, and he's a coward, and continuing to repeat the generational sin of being a coward, like his dad, who never manned up after all these years, yeah. and talk to his sons. So he's repeating that generational sin of mm-hmm. being a coward. And then he runs into Rachel and in his own weakness, he hopes that if he can have some kind of goodness with Rachel, that it will give him the strength to confront his dad. Yeah. And so that's what drags it out to seeing Rachel going back to the hardware and asking Rachel out and then going on this date night mm-hmm. and then date night goes poorly and everyone gets drunk and shit. And then the next day, Rachel has nothing to do with Will, or sorry, with Drew. Yeah. And then Drew's like, well, F it. I have lost everything. There is no, there, I, there's no lifesavers sure. here. Sure. Let's just confront Dad and and have it out. Mm-hmm. But, but it is drawn out. It's like whenever they get in the first night, late night, and he doesn't see Dad, it's probably a good 30 hours until he does. Right. Gotcha. Yep. Yeah. I'm they totally get caught up in the town. <laughs> by the way, <laughs> I know they um, get caught up in the nostalgia. And I, I honestly accept your explanation, and I'll take it into consideration on my next viewing. Um, Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> which tell the critics that, that's saying something too. There are very few movies in the world that I watch twice. Part of it I'm, is, I mean, it's a good I'm movie, thankful. but I, I know you, so I, I enjoyed it even more. So maybe I'm a little bit biased, but um, I, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take what I can get. <laughs> Hey, Dan Smots here. I'm taking a second to interrupt myself talking to talk about myself because, you know, I don't get paid a penny for the hours and hours that I put into creating this show for you guys in your greedy little ears. And I've got a family to feed. To make that happen, I run my own media business called Goulash Media. If you have a need in anything from video production to graphic design to audio production and beyond, you can get it all for a painfully fair price at Goulash Media. In video, I do weddings, music videos, commercials, pageants, plays, etc., etc., etc. For design, I do photo editing editing, album art, logos, branding, business cards, merchandise, you name it. For audio, I do engineering, production, editing, jingles, and, well, podcasts. So if you've got a media need of any kind, or if you'd just like to give a little something back and help keep my children fed, check out all the endless options at my website, goulashmedia.net. That's goulash, G-O-U-L-A-S-H, media.net, where we cater to the little guy with the big vision. (sighs) Okay. Now, the... We got to talk about it. Oh boy, you had you had I'm to put it breath. in there. You had ah, to damn do it. it. What, ah, what am I going to talk about? You're going to talk about the Jesus moment, the church scene. <laughs> church scene. I know. Yep. Now, <clears throat> I would say for it to be there, uh, yes. well, it pretty much had. There had to be something. <laughs> that's that's the problem with things like this. You're wanting to show like where he gets these little seeds of information about God and kind of helps him along his path or whatever. 
Yeah. And I've noticed that, well, I'm, I'm pretty cynical on this because anytime I see it, I'm just like, stop it. That's not how life works. Um, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> so was there any like debate over the church scene? Basically, he, he, Drew's in this, yes. in this church and a priest comes out who's just hanging out there for no reason and comes out to share the gospel with him, which, which I will say it was not, <laughs> it was not overdone or hand-fisted, but it was, it was predictable. And I'm sure that there were some discussions about that. Man, I need to get, I need to take up smoking again. Um, <laughs> Yeah, now I hear you. This that part was probably the most worked on, dissected, talked about, fleshed out. Sure. One of the more fleshed out parts of the film. Mm-hmm. Now, going forward, I don't I think gospel truth and Jesus talk it would be better if it doesn't take place in a church. Mm-hmm. And it would be better if it doesn't come from a pastor. And in the future scripts, like Beast and Me and Deathbed Redemption... It's going to take some place from, f- like, a old-timey black woman who's like, you've heard about Jesus, right? Yeah, and, like, the shack, <laughs> and then she becomes, like, the Holy Spirit or something. Yes. I don't understand. But, um, but, yeah, right, like, in Beast and Me, like, there's an old ex-cartel, you know, <laughs> old Hispanic man that talks about Jesus. Sure. So, which is a lot better. What we wanted to do is to show, because Sarah is has always been, even during the rough childhood for her boys and the abuse, um, the mother had always been, like, the, the faithful remnant. Mm-hmm. And so she was active in the church and known in the community, and Bill was probably dragged a couple times, and maybe the sons were dragged a couple times, as most of us were, mm-hmm. uh, even in, in, in America. Like, you were dragged to church at some time in your life. Mm-hmm. And so... Drew runs by the church when he's jogging the first morning, whenever he's planning on confronting Dad. And he looks at it, and the bell rings, but he doesn't stop. And then after he just lost Rachel, and he is about to face his dad, and he's at, like, his wit's end of, like, I'm going to kill Dad or I'm going to kill myself, mm-hmm. he sees the church again. And he's like, well, fuck it. Mom believes it, believed in it. Maybe I'll give it a chance. Yeah. Maybe I'll just go in there and he's not planning on seeing the pastor and he's just going to like collect his thoughts to prepare right. to decide if he's going to kill his dad or kill himself. Mm-hmm. And then the pastor comes out and the pastor knows him because he was dragged as a little boy to church and it's a small town and everyone knows each other. And the pastor knows his dad. Yeah. And the conversation, like the pa- the way the pastor talks isn't the way usually pastors talk. Like, and the got the actor who's my dad, isn't an, isn't a pastor and uh and which is good because i didn't want like this like what usually this church scene in is in the traditional faith-based film is like you know the altar call and like right. god can really make your life awesome yep. and you don't need jesus and so i too in this pastor scene and the dialogue that is spoken like i sent it to some old seminary professors and some people that work in the ministry in organizations that i trust and are pretty high on orthodoxy to be sure that if we are going to have this jesus language explicit jesus language that it's extremely accurate and theologically sound Mm -hmm. which i never ever ever see in all these faith-based films it's usually like you get jesus and your life is perfect now it's hard to flesh out in 90 minutes in one scene what that looks like and i get that because even our film seems neat even though i'd I'd argue it isn't but 
yes, the Jesus scene is difficult, and yet I edited it in such a way, too, that Drew feels like the audience, and he's like, okay, like, he cuts off the passion, he's like, that's enough, I, you know, stop talking about Jesus, I don't give a shit, and then he walks off. <laughs> sure, yep. Just when everybody's about to walk out of the theater, Drew walks away. Yes, and we're like, thank you, Drew, stop. <laughs> Thank Stop you for it. being uh, the voice of reason in this <laughs> See, it's tough because there's no way to talk about Christianity without talking about Jesus explicitly. Right. And then you get lumped into, like, if people are yep. expecting it, you, they're, like I felt, you're expecting it to be just this drawn out, uh, you need to give your, your, your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. Who's Jesus Christ? I've never heard of this man. Please explain, right. Pastor. And well, open up your Bibles. <laughs> Pew well, number, page number 386. <laughs> in 1 Corinthians. No. Um, <laughs> it, it wasn't that. And I will you see, say, there's this hole in your heart that was made in the shape of a cross. Oh, gosh. I know. Um, <laughs> speaking to my childhood again. Anyway. Uh, um, <laughs> PTSD. Yes. I'm getting triggered. Um, <laughs> yeah, but again, I will say, I don't see a way that it could not be there for a lot of the happenings to make sense. Um, I can't really think of a much better way. I could think of different ways, but I don't know that oh, no. much better. Um, and artistically, it's well done. It's lean, like the dialogue is to the point and not sloppy and drawn out. So it's <laughs> it's there. <laughs> I'll let it go because it's okay. <laughs> yeah. And it's good for character development, not only sure. for Drew, but also for the father, because I think this, this is going to, there's a little, so I know, I know. <laughs> I, I think Christian Christianity, what it can offer to the world is show that we are all effed up, right? We're, we're, sure. we're all needing. A oh, now you're going to edit yourself. I know. You'll put it we're in your movie, but you won't. Fucked up, fucked up, fucked up. We're fucked up, everyone's fucked up. All right, that's enough. And this is so all work for me. Up. <laughs> and we're so fucked up that Jesus had to be brutally slaughtered. And so, but it's so easy to just like have a boogeyman. Like in Drew's life, his dad is his boogeyman. He is mm -hmm. only evil. He's nothing but evil without considering his own sins without taking responsibility for the evilness in his own life. Right. I'm not saying that there's not greater and worse sins. There are. Mm -hmm. But I think that's what the church scene can offer is, as much as we just want to like blame some other man for all of our woes, uh, we also have to look ourselves in the mirror yeah. and understand that. And, that, and that's, so that's character development. Yeah. And that's why it's particularly important to have a pastor yeah. to show the relationship with the dad, right. but it still is cliche and painful <laughs> because it's in a church with a pastor. Sure. It's and fine. you won't see that again. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. You won't. It's all right. We all make mistakes in life. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so, I mean, we can't talk that much more about the story, to be completely honest, because there's right. a lot of things I don't want to give away. Um, I would say overall, if I'm putting this movie up against... I mean, just being realistic. And this is why, I mean, I'll give mm -hmm. you shit. I know that you can take it. And as an artist, I would think that you would expect some criticism and stuff like that. Hells yeah. Yeah. So, um, and if I didn't, if I, if I had you on here thinking that you only want me to pat you on the back, then that would completely defeat 
my purpose of having you on here. <laughs> and, yeah, be boring. Right. I mean, you're making movies that are showing people in real life, in real situations, and emphasizing that. So for us to be fake about it would be completely pointless. But, yes. Um, so, yeah, I do all this to give a realistic representation and not just be another, uh, hey, this guy that I know is making a movie and it's going to be fantastic because I know him. Um, right. <clears throat> so, yeah, I would say my... Overall rating of the movie, if I were putting it up against, say, like, blockbuster hits, which sure is what most people watch, um, I would say maybe uh, five, six, seven, somewhere in there. Still certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, in my opinion. All right. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I'll take that. Putting it up against, you know, an indie movie or, like, a bridge between indie and mainstream movies, I would say yeah. easily nine, ten out of ten. So, if I'm putting it up against faith-based films or Christian films, I would say throw the whole <laughs> the whole <laughs> category out the window because I haven't seen please. one that I've enjoyed so far. I um, haven't either. So yes, please do throw the category out the window. Actually, I take that back. Have you seen Case for Christ? I'm not going to get into this too much. Maybe we'll oh, do it man. in the bonus segment. But have you seen Case for Christ yet? I have. I know. It's it's not awful. Right. It's really well made. Hold and on. It doesn't show. Let's not talk about. It. Let's save it for bonus stuff. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking about you. This is all about you, man. <laughs> Thank you. Aw. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, as far as indie Christian film, <laughs> come on. There, there's no even qualifying number for it. Very good movie. Very well made. Um, even even like the uh, the pool shot, which I kind of pointed out, was a, even if it was a little confusing, it was very artistically made and very tense and... Um, I mean, I had questions about it, but I still thought it was a beautiful scene, and it added to the film. Uh, the, Perfect. The, I couldn't ask for more. <laughs> sure. You had questions, it was beautiful, and it was intense. Sure, yeah. And Stuff of life. The same for, I mean, there are a lot of scenes where, I mean, I do film as in, like, wedding films and music videos and that type of thing. Oh, yeah. I haven't done, like, feature films or anything like that. But just some of the angles that you got in, like, the bar scene and that type of thing, mm -hmm. I can't even imagine trying to get within that crowd and get it angled the way that you pulled off. And just in that setting, that clusterfuck of a setting. Um, oh, it was. <laughs> it, it was. It was extremely well done for an indie film. Thank Fantastic. you. Absolutely. It was, that was probably, and I hope, the hardest day physically not emotionally, but physically on set I've had because by the end of it, it was just me and my DP and our talent. And mm -hmm. I was moving lights because pretty much everyone else had passed out from heat exhaustion. It was like 110 <laughs> degrees. Everyone was sweating. Oh, I was I was wiping the sweat on my actors' faces because our makeup couldn't keep up and the right. blood was running. And it was a mess. We had a great stunt coordinator, uh, Zoe, who did all the stunts. And she was a friend from college with SAG that does stunts and... We're real, I'm real thankful it could have turned out because we were all pretty damn nervous. Sure. And it took a long time editing, as I'm sure you can imagine. Oh, yeah. And we went past the entire alphabet on takes. You know, like, <laughs> you know, past, it was like AA and ZZ and all this take kind of alpha, stuff. Take alpha, take beta, take alpha. Yeah. <laughs> take beta, beta. Yes. After, you know, like, that's how absurd it got. Like, sure. we had 130 takes on one angle. But thank God that you're saying that and that it looks believable. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I, can, I can only imagine. And it, it's interesting to hear that type of thing as somebody who does similar work. Um, mm -hmm. Because, I mean, most people don't realize the crap that you go through 
to get no one does like five minute shot in a bar, a bar yes or scene. like 30 seconds it's yeah it's like i mean people assume you know they go into a bar there's people standing around they punch each other and that's it <laughs> uh five minutes i mean it's all real time right they just use like two or three cameras and capture it just right perfect that's how it works right oh man <laughs> i know it's crazy if you think about like the pre-production like in this you know the choreographing of the fighting and the props that were made up and the fake bottles that were broken right and then the actual filming, which was, you know, a nine-hour event. Mm-hmm. And then the editing, which was probably just for the bar fight alone. I bet I spent, like, a full, like, 12, 15-hour days. I probably spent, like, 15 or maybe 20 of them just on that five-minute scene. Sure. And then sound design, between our our post-production sound house, I bet they spent... I mean, that was a very difficult scene for yeah. them. And then I tweaked it a lot and added that, like, bomb effect and all that kind of stuff with the... The bringing in his ears, and mm-hmm. I bet that was another five t- five days of work from multiple people. So you think about just that five minutes, yeah, and uh, then also color and score. Gosh, I mean, those <laughs> those five minutes, and right. that's like <laughs> a month and a half of your life. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's crazy. It's insane. And it's funny because I can't even think about it. You watch things on like uh, stop motion animation and old school animation and stuff like that, and how much time went into that, where it's like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's like an eight hour day just to get ten seconds of the scene. And everybody's like, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe it takes that long." It's like, well, if you want to film something just right, it'll probably take longer uh, because you're using actual people in you know, variable situations, like with those things, at least you have controlled environments where it does right. exactly what you want the first time. I assuming I, I don't know anything about either one of these things. So I'm totally talking out my ass, but that's fine. Um, but no, you're actually right. <laughs> it's true. And at least on a movie set, you have controlled conditions like with lighting and air conditioning and temperature and sets and props. And yeah. And here we were just fighting everything so we could just keep shooting. You know, like the heat was too much for some people, like literally had like our ACs had to like step outside, like they couldn't breathe. And then we kept blowing the breakers. It was, it was insane. Almost everything was working against us (laughs) so that we couldn't shoot it. But we did. Would you say that's the work of the devil? <laughs> I'd say that is the true work of the independent filmmaker. That if you want to make a movie, expect that. Sure. And be thankful if you don't get Murphy's Law every single second. Sure. So <laughs> And the devil. <laughs> the devil trying to stop you from making what all the Christians would say is a devil film. Um, I know. <laughs> Joke's on you, devil. Yep. <laughs> I don't know who I'm working for. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, um, man. So... The movie ultimately has, I don't want to, well, okay, I'll I'll say, you can tell me if you want it to be cut out, but the movie ultimately has a a happy ending, Um, not exactly as happy as I was expecting it to be, which I appreciated, and, um, but it does have a happy ending. I know. Do you think that as Christians, it is an obligation to have happy endings in our movies or our artwork, our songs, that type of thing? I So I read this really interesting book, and it's by Leland Riken. It's called Art for God's Sake. And he has three criteria for what makes Christian art. And I'm definitely not like a legalistic, formulaic guy, but I've always sure. found that book, it's a very quick, short read, to be helpful 
in trying to navigate a very subjective world of art, and especially as a Christian, and fighting against the restraints and confines of the faith-based world, where mm-hmm. it's very formulaic, it's like a souffle, and if you miss any ingredient, the whole thing falls apart. Well, I knew I was never going to be able to fit the ingredients of the souffle, and so Leland Reich, and then Art for God's Sake, says, you know, for it to be God-glorifying art, it needs to first be true. Mm-hmm. And in being true, which none of the faith-based films can pass this criteria, is that it you need to show the world as it truly is. Like the Bible doesn't censor whenever the prostitute's getting cut up into 12 pieces and sent right. to the 12 tribes of Israel and judges, and it doesn't censor a lot of stuff, almost anything. And people right. try and make argument arguments about using the Bible like, oh, but they don't talk about sex that much. Are you well, kidding Well, they me? talk about, yeah. <laughs> it gets I mean, pretty uncomfortably read. graphic at some points. <laughs> so graphic, like much more graphic than even like my millennial Victorian mind can handle. Oh, yeah. So anyway, that's all bullshit, that kind of argument. So it has to be true, it has to be realistic, and that's what we have gotten the most slack about is that we're not censoring the world in a way that it becomes unrecognizable. Like I can't see myself or any of the characters and know anyone in those faith-based films or Mm -hmm. the Kendrick brother films because no one's that good and I'm not that good. And the world's not that ideal. I'm not living in like a church basement for my whole life. So it has to be true. Um, Secondly, it has to be excellently made and glorifying to God. You know, like the the extreme measurements and the particulars about the temple and the worship tent, like it, it's so extreme mm-hmm. because God cares about just like in creation and like how a human is made. Like he, he cares about the particulars and the details. Yeah. So as much as humanly possible with a ridiculously limited budget that I'll never tell you how cheaply we made this film for it is, Crazy. We did it. We try to make it as excellent as humanly possible and work with Hollywood veterans and our offices in Hollywood. And we work with all Hollywood sound and post-production stages to make it as good as we humanly possibly could, Mm -hmm. even if it was the most uncomfortable and the most hard work you could put into it. And then third, it should in some way impart hope. Now, I'm not saying that means it always has to be a happy ending. Right. And it can be, like, the main character can die, and she can hit the fan, and it can still impart hope, even if it's, like, almost like if Goodfellas had ended before he got into Witness Protection Agency. Like, it can be still a cautionary tale and still impart hope. But for this film in particular, and especially with such an overwhelming issue, which is generational sins, and I know people, and I know people that are overwhelmed and often taken down in generational sins. It's just such a systemic, awful issue that mm-hmm. I felt like I, it's more hopeful than probably I am in my own life, but I wanted like Drew to be better in some small way, especially going through what he went through and getting down to the depths of his own psyche and his own fears to at least come out with a positive outlook. Mm-hmm. And it, and it ends before you know how that's going to turn out. Like he, it looks okay. Like the ending looks okay. But if you're going to journey with him for another 20, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, (laughs) he's going to have plenty more and his generational sins are going to rear their ugly head. And so he's going to have to fight that battle. I'm not going to say whether or not he wins. I don't know because I don't know my own life. So generational sins too? If this makes $100 million, <laughs> no. No, and no. There will never be a generational no. sense, too. <laughs> okay. Ever.
Uh, yeah, I, I like your answer. I like that you're willing to admit that he's he's going to go through shit in the future because movies like uh, Fireproof or whatever, uh, all these Christian movies that they end with, and then they both found God and they lived happily ever after. Exactly. And they never were human again. Yeah. And I, <laughs> and I appreciate, you know, I've gotten some shit too that our ending is too neat. It's too nice. It's too happy. And I get that. And yet, for this 90 minutes, this is where Drew's at. He's very thankful that he's alive and he has... Right. And hey, that's, that's a deep yeah. spoiler. I know. You're going to have to edit a lot of this. Maybe... <laughs> it's going to be, he has bleep. <laughs> Just edit out. <laughs> yeah, you know, I get it. And I didn't... I, I played a lot with... I wrote alternative endings, and he did end up killing himself. I tried a lot of other things. Sure. I just knew for you, well. Do you think that that's wrong? Psyche. Do you think that it's wrong to? I mean, like with that book that you were talking about, it said you have to show that there is hope. Do you completely agree with that, or could you have made this movie? And well, that mm-hmm. actually kind of really well segues into the question that I got on Facebook for you from Forrest, who is actually my pastor's son. Oh, cool. Yeah. Hey, Forrest. <laughs> so let me pull up that question real quick. What and a great I'll name, ask that. Forrest. Yes. He says, I've been debating about writing my own story that is more or less faith-based, uh, but I don't want it to be sanitized and sugar-coated like the faith-based films we've seen out there. How do you determine whether or not something within the realm of questionable content is necessary to put in to tell the story or not? Uh, how can I use something like language or lust in a way that benefits the story and its characters versus doing it for shock value? So, I mean, that's similar to what we're talking about. Um, I'll go ahead and ask my question, and then I'll let you address his, and if I need to repeat it, or if you need me to repeat it, I will. But do you think that it's necessary? Uh, I guess it's kind of different. Do you think it's necessary to show the hope? Like, could you have killed your guy off and it have been still glorifying to God? Or is that too real <laughs> to, be a, to be a God-centered no. film? No, I think we definitely could have killed Drew. He could have killed himself. Uh, I have scripts in which they are not happy endings whatsoever, and there can still be hope. I mean, that's like the resilience of a Christian in even in eternal hope. You know, one of my, one of the, an author um, who helped me not leave the faith a couple years ago is a guy by the name of Brennan Manning. Yeah. Familiar with him. I'll just give a quick recap, and then I'll get to answering Forrest's question. But um, he always struggled with alcoholism. And he wrote this profound book whenever he had some sobriety about um, like this mountaintop experience with God um, and like talking about Abba and Father. Mm-hmm. And then he, again, for the upteenth time, had a, uh, a bender and, and fell back into alcoholism and went back to rehab. And pretty much the entire Christian church was like, haha, look, it's another right. non-Christian because he up right and he's addicted and uh it really took Only a toll on brennan exactly yes. and so it really took a toll on brennan and it i think it spiraled him and it really hurt him that pretty much everyone had abandoned him was questioning like his mountaintop experience and relationship with god and yeah. his profession of love and he actually ended up dying from wet brain the alcoholic's disease like alcoholism consumed him and killed him and he never got victory over in this life mm-hmm. and yet the book of all of his books, the book that really God used instrumentally to save my faith is uh, 
his last book, which is mm. All His Grace. And it's his, his autobiography, except for he was had such a wet brain, he wasn't able to write it. He could only dictate it to mm. one of his friends. And so he'd lost that motor function of being able to write. But he wrote just about, you know, reciting his life mission statement that God loves us as we are, not as we ought to be, because none of us are as we ought to be. Yeah. And so just to go back to like Galatians and have like this complete grace centric, like I, you know, I wish I wasn't repeating these either generational sins or repeating sins or whatever it is. And yet, even if I never get victory over it, that's not the point as much as we all worship that that's not the point. And so if, if the drew had killed himself, if he had, you know, gone into alcoholism and he might still, that's not the final, that's not the final note. I know, great Christians who have killed themselves and I am not a Roman Catholic and saying it's an unforgivable sin. And God is more acutely aware, even than from the, the, even more aware than the person suffering from depression about everything that led up and all the generations leading up to that point and how he created that person who is so severely afflicted. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I'm not going to say, I don't want it to be ever to be cookie cutter and say that, you know, like, oh, so it has to be a happy ending. By no means. This film could have ended completely differently, and I would like probably a little more complexity in future endings for films and maybe a little more gray and still impart hope, you know, because Mm -hmm. that's that's what Christians can have in this life beyond anyone else is, like, hope in complete, utter despair and darkness. Whenever it's just blinding darkness, you can still have a sliver of hope. Yeah, and I think that, um, well, for me in writing music, I, I write stuff that is, well, now I write stuff. <laughs> I did it as a as a youngster, but now I write stuff sure. that is more real, and it's like asking a question and not necessarily giving an answer to it, because yes. if we're all on, really being honest with ourselves, we, we don't know. Um, like, if I'm struggling with something and I say, I am past that, I'm never going to deal with that again, I'm full of shit because I have no idea. Uh, You're right. Asking questions about God and that type of thing. It's like, you don't really have the answer. Um, you can say, I have hope that, you know, life will reveal itself to me and things will start to make more sense. But right now, if I'm being honest, I've got a whole lot more questions than I have answers. Uh-huh. Absolutely. And that's, it's a rare honest day, especially in the church. Sure. And it's, it's essential. It really needs to be because any of our goodness too, the only reason why we're not a lot more wicked Mm-hmm. than we could be, it's just because of God's grace. I mean, the only yeah. reason I'm not the worst guy you can think of, the only reason I have any goodness in me whatsoever is God's grace. So if that's our starting point, we can have a lot more grace for each other and have a lot more realistic human stories mm-hmm. with the sustaining hope, not in ourselves, not in our inner goodness, but in God. Yeah. So let's get to uh, Forrest's question. I mean, he yes. basically asked... Kind of what I asked a little bit in the last episode that I did with you, just like, Uh what is the difference, like, where is the line between I'm doing this because it's real and I'm telling a real story with real people and real people cuss all of the time, (laughs) like 99.9% of them say these words, like, where's the line between presenting real people in real situations, gritty, dark, shitty situations, uh, that or you know, putting it in there just because you'll get attention. I mean, in your case, it would be saying, 
yes, you put an F-bomb in your, in your faith-based <laughs> film because you wanted this press and you wanted uh, that shock value and you wanted to be set apart from other people. Yeah. Yep. Nope. That's a great question, Forrest. Um, I think it really comes down to intentionality because in our film, and especially the faith-based community is so concerned if they were, if they were to embrace a film like generational sins or the other films that we're making in the hard faith genre, they're so concerned about, you know, what is exploitative, what is gratuitous, you know, whether it's sex or cussing or anything else. And I get that, you know, I censor myself with different people that I interact with, but whenever I do use cuss words or whenever I would have characters in films cuss, I think there's a lot of intentionality that could be there because, you know, in our film, the one F-bomb in the entire damn film... The faith-based film filled with F-bombs? Yes, exactly. (laughs) Well, the one F-bomb is very intentional. It's calling out the younger brother feeling abandoned by his cowardice, uh, is, is coward of an older brother. And that's like the generational sin, a huge generational sin theme of the movie, like people and especially men not taking responsibilities. And so that's, that's very intentional. And in fact, in real life, I think there'd be a lot more cussing now to be honest. And I know no one will ever believe me whenever I had, whenever we had this film, I never imagined there would be this much talk about cussing mm-hmm. in a film that sure. talks about Jesus in the same 90 minutes, because honestly, I'm not that familiar. or wasn't nearly as familiar as I am now with the faith-based genre right. and the faith-based everything. Like I don't watch these movies intentionally because I almost can't get through them. And I don't, <laughs> I didn't know a lot of the players. I know a lot of them now. And so I never imagined, like I didn't, we didn't do this for shock value. We did it because this is how we would talk. And this is how these characters would talk. This is right. the plot. And if anything, it's still, I mean, it's, it's, it's PG-13. You know, like, it's, it's not at all gratuitous. And so what I'd say to Forrest and what I'd say to any Christian filmmaker and what I hope, if nothing else, that this film accomplishes nothing else, I hope that we can break a lot of the confines and the restraints of how we express ourselves and our characters, especially in an art form, talking about God. Like, we should be able to talk about God as explicitly as we want to mm-hmm. with questioning with wrestling with crying out with accusation with lamenting everything like the psalms does and ecclesiastes and the wrestlings of god through all the biblical characters and we should talk as we always talk we shouldn't have a compartmentalized mind where here whenever i'm talking with my friends i talk this way when i'm talking to god i'm talking this way i i want to be vulnerable and true with god and god is still with me just as intimately when i'm talking to my friends as whenever I'm talking to him, and he knows that. And mm-hmm. in our characters, in our films, I, I don't want to make like any kind of like, this is what you can do, and this is what you can't do. Anytime someone does that, I think it's usually like a power play or a manipulation, and they're trying to protect something of their own, or they're too afraid of something. Mm-hmm. And so I think, I, you know, you could have a character that says Fuck every other word in your film, if there's a reason, and then, or if your character is just that kind of person, we know those kind of people that just say Fuck every I, single other word. I worked work. in a machine shop, which my dad, yes. the, the formerly fundamentalist Christian pastor, has worked in that same machine shop for the last 27 years. And also, I will say, I now know that my mom listens to the podcast, so uh, she's brought that up in the last couple of days. So uh, this is all a new thing that I have to factor into what I say here. Um, mm, fun. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Good luck. I'm just kidding, mom. Sorry. Um, Love if mom. you've made it this far. 
Love you, mom. Yes. Uh, but my, my, my dad, who uh, was a very fundamentalist Christian pastor, he works in a machine shop where 75% of the people, 75% of their vocabulary is the F word, just every other yeah. word. And yep. it's like you hear That's these the words word every single in. day. Nobody's surprised by these words. And right. showing these characters in these freaking dire situations, these terrible, terrible life situations that are realistic – to have them sterilize their words and only speak in the vocabulary that is modern-day Jesus socially acceptable is just not realistic. Right. It isn't. And especially for an art form where you really are trying to display life as it truly is, and even if we're going back to the art for God's sake, like showing Mm -hmm. truth, nothing sent... I mean, why would you censor that? Why would you... Especially, I mean... If you, and if even if I wanted to play into the fundamentalist mind, um, <laughs> if I want to play into the fundamentalist complex, the character that's saying fuck isn't even a Christian, right? So how could you possibly take offense to that? <laughs> I don't know. It's just lunacy. And so for, so for Forrest, I mean, too, like we're gonna have nudity in some of our films potentially if it serves a purpose. You know, as much as possible, we are crafting a story to elicit an emotional response as a director and as a writer and as an editor, we're trying to elicit a certain emotional response that connects our characters and our stories to the plot for the meaning of the message to our audiences. And, and so whether it's cussing or nudity or drug use or whatever it is, if there is a reason for it, and I don't think a lot of, I think a lot of Hollywood pictures don't have a lot of reason for it. Maybe it is shock value. But there's shock. Maybe it's shock for an oh, emotional it, reason. Absolutely, it's not shock yeah. value. It's that's what people want. So anytime you watch right. a a trail a movie trailer, even if it only has one minor sex scene, guess what's going to be in the three minute movie trailer? A yes. clip from that sex scene. <laughs> like they're right. doing it because it sells. Which is yeah, and it's silly too, especially in such a instantaneously available porn world. Like that's not that exciting. But yes, it still sells, and they still right. add that. And we wouldn't do that just for shock value for sales. Mm-hmm. Like in the film that I'm thinking about, and I think we talked about this in the last episode. As far as you know, it's a pros- it's a brothel in showing just like the sterile, almost DMV feeling with nude bodies that you're paying for in a commerce setting. Right. And if you show bodies as they really are in a brothel or in real life and not in this, like, ultra-glam, photoshopped version, mm-hmm. and to just elicit what it feels like or what it should feel like to be uncomfortable in that situation. So that saying all that is that, you like, Forrest, you'll know if you're being... Right. And, and, you'll, and you, there's a lot of people that won't believe you. There's a lot of people that have called me out, and they will continue to do so, and that's fine. But you're an artist, and you got to be true to your art form, and that's why I talk mm-hmm. about Jesus, because he's my truth. And I show the world as I have experienced it. And people say fuck a lot more than they do in generational sins. And so do I. Yeah, and also I would say the question that he's asking, the answer is similar to cussing in general or doing these things in general. (laughs) It is between you and God. Like, what is your intention? Like, what is? are you putting it out there to for your own personal gain or to try and hurt somebody? Or are you just putting it out there because that's authentic? Um, Yes. Another thing uh, you said, correct me if I'm wrong, it's been a while since I watched the movie, like I said, but um, so you said that the one F-bomb in the movie is actually, it's not really cursing 
a person, and this brings up what we talked about in the last episode, it's basically cursing him just for the sin and the wrong that he's doing. Um, mm -hmm. So it's actually, it's not being used explicitly as just like, fuck you. It's like, the thing that you're doing, fuck that. I mean, if we're talking about, are we talking about cuss words or curse words? Um, if he's mm -hmm. cursing something, is he cursing the man or is he cursing his actions? Exactly. In this one, he's cursing his actions. And yet, in Fireproof, if they said, dang you, what the sh is the difference? Right. I mean, everything <laughs> that was written in the New Testament, the English language wasn't even invented for another half a millennia. So everyone that keeps throwing the Bible verses at me about against unwholesome talk, the Apostle Paul wasn't thinking about fucking sh and damn. Right. He already had his own choice, some that he used, I'm sure, in his daily life, of cuss words right. and unwholesome and cursing and cussing and this whole conversation. I mean, for me, too, I think it is pagan meat, right? Like, if you can enjoy pagan meat, live it up. If, <laughs> you, if your conscience binds you and you can't enjoy pagan meat, then don't eat it. And I'm not, you don't have to eat it. You don't have to, you don't have to use cuss, curse words. You can let me use curse words. I enjoy it. I like that extra flavoring of life. <laughs> I think it's a good meal. I enjoy it. I like to, to, to do what I'm allowed to do and to focus on what I shouldn't do. And two, like even if I was working in a machine shop and like people somehow found out I was a Christian or I was talking about Jesus, I wouldn't censor myself either because I don't want to give a false impression that it's any harder right. to become a Christian and add another fake barrier right. to Christianity. You know, like, I I am just like you. The only difference is, is that God has so graciously revealed himself to me. I'm just as fucked up. I'm getting better in spite of myself. And it's only because of God's grace that I can even talk to you about him. And that's, that's nothing I did. So why would I try and... Mm -hmm. project to you that how I am set apart is by something I can do as shallow as not cussing. How I'm going to be set apart is that I give a shit about you. Oh, love it. Love it. Absolutely. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I don't know if his question was directed at your film necessarily, but it's obviously a big conversation around your film. Um, mm -hmm. Your film is not made for shock value. Yes. Yes. It is not made for shock value. Okay. Well, is made for authenticity. Okay. Well, what is made for shock value is the bonus content that we're about to record where we talk about <laughs> Kirk Cameron's Saving Christmas. Uh, which oh, is, damn. Which I have finally watched, and you've watched it yourself, right? I watched... Are you familiar with the YouTube uh, personality, uh, Say Goodnight, Kevin? Um, no. If you're not, look <laughs> him up. Your audience will love him. He's a Christian dude that tears apart faith-based films, oh, nice. mostly for bad theology and for filmmaking. <laughs> and he hold, his, his logo is that um, he holds Christian films to the same standard as real films. Sure. And so what he gave me, what allowed me to do, is that he... It's a pretty long review. So he, it's, I think it was like 40 minutes long. <laughs> sure. And, and then whenever... Like, the they, movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's what I watched. But he has like whole clips of the film. Sure. So I'm very familiar with it. So yes, um, for those listening who have heard me bring up this movie, I'm not just a hypocrite shooting in the dark at Kirk Cameron who is unwilling to give him a chance. I gave him a chance. I watched the whole movie, 
and I'll give you guys a breakdown, and me and Spencer are going to talk about that and probably much more in a much less filtered conversation of bonus content that we're going to record right after this. Before we do that, Spencer, tell everybody one more time um, where they can find stuff about you, stuff about Generational Sins, and everything that's coming up. Absolutely. So thank you so much for having me on your podcast, Dan. I really enjoyed the last conversation and enjoy listening to your podcast. So our film, Generational Sins, comes out in select theaters on video demand on October 6th in all of North America. You can learn more about the film at generationalsins.com or our parent company, thirdbrother.com, T-H-I-R-D. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, we have a lot more films like this coming out. What we're calling it is hard faith films. We say it's a new genre nice. where it's set in a realistic world. It's gritty. Faith is hard and life is hard. So hard faith films, if you're interested in this kind of new genre of films and this movement, Third Brother and the future films that we have coming out, I think you'd be interested in. Very cool, man. Thank you so much for coming on once again. You're welcome anytime. I would love to just get together and shoot the breeze about all sorts of theological stuff and film and theology. Do you want to tell guys about your film and theology page as well? Oh, yeah. I got a Facebook group. I've been running it for, I don't know, maybe a decade. It's called Film Theology. It's a private Facebook group. And it has been, it was the genesis of the idea of what hard faith films are. You know, these uncensored, authentic, talking about Jesus films. So this is about a really long idea and conversation I've been having with people in the industry, at college. It's the reason I went to seminary. And it's it, it's great. It's very rewarding for me that kind of all of this exploration and dialogue that I've been having with artists, musicians like yourself, Dan, and mm-hmm. filmmakers and screenwriters and painters from all walks of life all over the world uh, has really informed what we're now calling hard faith. And film theology was sort of the genesis of that. Some friends from college at Grove City and even high school, we started having these conversations because we just, we never felt like there was a product made for us. Well, yeah, you guys are doing great work. Love seeing it unfold. And I look forward to the stuff that's to come with the release next month. Once again, for everybody, it's uh, October 5th, right? October 6th. October 6th is the release of Generational Sin. So everybody, uh, you don't have to, if you're in my neighborhood, you don't have to drive three hours to Chicago to see it. It will be available on demand, and I highly recommend going and checking it out. Spencer, thanks so much for coming on again, and I look forward to our even more ridiculous conversation in the next hour. <laughs> me too. Thank you so much for having me, Dan. Appreciate it. Yep, no problem. Have a good one, man. You too. Bye. Hey, guys. Thanks for sticking around to the end. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Spencer Fulmer, and I do honestly, personally encourage everyone to go check out the film Generational Sins this Friday, either in theaters or on demand. And I honestly don't think you'll be disappointed. As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, Spencer and I did an entire second hour episode where we broke down the film Kirk Cameron Saving Christmas, The Case for Christ, and we discussed whether or not God really does hate Kirk Cameron. So that was just a really fun conversation that we had. And you can get access to that by joining the Downers Club at tsidpod.com forward slash support. And all of these bonus episodes that I'm throwing out there are completely raw and unfiltered. There's no intros, no outros, no ads, um, all the naughty words that are in there. So (laughs) if you're looking for more discomfort in your life, 
check that stuff out. I would also encourage you to check out our new merch store at tsidpod.com slash shop, where we have several different fun shirt designs, uh, phone cases, and just a whole lot of fun stuff. So check that out. Also be sure to review the show and subscribe on iTunes, as that is extremely helpful in helping us just build the name of the show and get the word out there. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter, uh, which all the links to those are in the show description. So go give us some likes, some shares, some posts, what have you. And of course, come join the uncomfortable forum discussion at tsidpod.com forward slash forum. We've got a lot of fun topics and conversations in there, and it's just awesome to be able to interact with the people that listen to the show. So do all of that junk, and I'll be right back here next Monday, or sooner if you're in the Downers Club, with some more uncomfortable nonsense for you. Until then, question everything and stay uncomfortable. Thanks. This has been a Goulash Media production. Goulash Media. Dot net. This concludes our broadcast day. Click. <laughs> <laughs>